Thank you. As we begin, I ask open up to Genesis. We'll kind of be bouncing around through the first parts of Genesis. Now, today I'll give us a little roadmap of where we're going. We'll look at the pre-flood conditions, what the earth looked like before the flood, what happened during the flood, and the resulting earth and the conditions that we now live in after the flood. Now, I think the flood, the flood is a very important event. It showed God's judgment on the earth because of the evilness and the corruption of the people during Noah's time. It showed God's global punishment of everyone, everyone on the earth, not just some local flood. Now, if we would diminish this flood, diminish God's judgment of the earth here, what's to stop us from diminishing his second judgment, where he will judge the world with fire at the end? So, let's get into it. When we look in Genesis chapter 5, looking through all the descendants, we see many people living for hundreds and hundreds of years, up to 900 at most. So, we sometimes may ask, well, how could this be? Today, people don't live to be that old. Surely, they don't. But the Bible says that many people throughout all the generations lived to many hundreds of years. So, is this allegory? Are these years representative of something else? Or are they truly living for hundreds of years? And if so, how are they living in such a way? Now, I remind us of where we left off last week, where we ended God, his six days of creation. He created, he said, it was very good. And I said, everything down to the very DNA was very good, uncorrupted, untainted by sin. So I think there's two reasons as to why people were able to live this long. One would be because sin had not corrupted down to their DNA. We see a lot of death and disease and illness caused by malfunctions in our DNA, by the transcriptions, the translations, how our DNA makes up our cells. This is a lot of times where cancer comes from, is from DNA malfunctions, where organ failure comes from, is from our DNA not properly functioning. This is how many people die of quote-unquote old age, is normally because of some genetic malfunction. So I believe that when God created the earth, there was no possibility for genetic malfunctions before the fall. And now after Adam fell and sin entered into the world, I think it infected every single part of the earth, every part of our lives and our existence. Now we see in Genesis chapter 6 that in verse 3 says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his day shall be 120 years. So before then was God's spirit abiding in man, allowing them to live much, much longer, and then in Genesis 6, he limits that to 100 years? I believe so. I think another reason is the conditions of the earth were vastly different before the flood than the conditions of the earth today. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the waters that were over the expanse that I have drawn here. Here is the crust of the earth in the green, the waters under the expanse, and the waters above the expanse. I believe this would have created a different condition on the earth. Now, today we have multiple layers of our atmosphere. We have the ozone, which protects us from a lot of the ultraviolet rays, the x-rays that come from the sun, and the, all the layers of our atmosphere play a part in protecting us from different things that come from space, even asteroids and meteorites or comets will many times hit the earth but will be burned up within its atmosphere. So I believe before the flood, there was this layer of whether water, mist, ice, something around the earth, above it being suspended by its gravitational pull and magnetic fields that blocked certain 
wavelengths coming in. We had visual light, of course, whereas they will still come through. But for example, ultraviolet light, I had used red and blue because I did not have a purple, or x-rays would not have been as harmful to humans on the earth because of this layer that is described in the creation account. Now another thing to this is I believe that this layer would have caused would have caused for higher atmospheric pressure on the Earth, as all of the molecules in the atmosphere are contained underneath this layer, not allowed to escape into space like it is today, only held by Earth's gravity. Now, I think this higher atmospheric pressure was also another reason for people living for hundreds of years. We see today the use of hyperbaric chambers. If we look at the first slide here, that's an example of a hyperbaric chamber where they will increase the atmospheric pressure, increase the pressure inside of there. And from there's one here in St. Luke's Center in Denver where this quote from them, inside the chamber, the air pressure is gradually increased to two to three times greater than normal atmospheric pressure, allowing the lungs to safely take in more oxygen than normal. And further on in there, they also say hyperbaric oxygen has the capit capability to heal like no other medical treatment. Now that's not an exact picture of what we have here in Denver, but this is used for healing for different diseases. You can do much more research on this and how it's been used. Even a lot of professional sports teams will have these in their facilities to aid in recovery. Now this is a science. You can't just hop in one of these things and magically become a superhuman in some sense. There is a science to it because the, if you are exposed to pure oxygen for too long, it can be harmful to the human body, which they do use nearly pure oxygen in these chambers most of the time. But I think the Earth's condition with this higher atmospheric pressure, it wouldn't have been an atmosphere of pure oxygen, but you would have had more oxygen in your lungs, more oxygen to fuel your body. Now, I know many of us living in Colorado, we've probably experienced going up in the mountains or coming up from lower elevation areas, the thinness of the air, we get much, we get tired a lot quicker, our legs begin to hurt faster as we're walking. I can definitely tell this when I go back down to lower elevation to sea level, it becomes 10 times easier to run. Now, this is because the oxygen that we're getting in our body is able to be taken in more. We have, there's more oxygen to breathe, more oxygen flowing through our blood to fuel our muscles and allow for our cells to function better. So I think this higher atmospheric pressure present on the earth would have given rise for this, would have been reason for these people living so long, as well as their sin not being as bad as it is today, and God's spirit abiding with man at, during this time. Now, the evolutionist would say, well, we're not, we're getting better and better. Surely people didn't live for hundreds of years, because that would mean that we're getting worse and worse, not better and better. We're not evolving and improving. So they dig up artifacts, like if we look on the next slide here, different skulls. These are skulls of so-called Neanderthals. The biggest proponent of them is what they would define them as Neanderthals would be this prominent eyebrow ridge that we see. All of these skulls have the ridge of their eyebrows extending and protruding more further forward than we do in today's in European Western skulls. Today they say, oh, well this must have been evidence for some other human common ancestor, not humans, but similar enough that we somehow evolved from this. But if you look at the next slide, this skull 
is actually the skull of the Aboriginal or Aborigines people in Australia. Now you also see this prominent eyebrow ridge in these skulls. That's very interesting. Now the Aborigines don't use tools like we do in the West. They use their jaws as vice in multiple different ways. So this overactivation of the jaws could possibly cause for this protruding of the eyebrow ridge, for it extending further for the different conditions they live in. And even in the next slide here, this is an example of a rugby player. We, you see that eyebrow ridge extending further. Is this a Neanderthal? I don't believe so. He's alive. He might be alive today or he's lived recently. So I think we see these different conditions, these different living conditions, how we operate, how we live, our daily function and activity can change the way that our body grows, how our bone structure changes. So I think those skulls of the Aborigines are just these people in Genesis before the flood that lived for hundreds of years that may have used their mouths in such ways. If we look even at the next slide here, these are fossilized footprints. They say these are footprints of our ancestors millions and millions of years ago, but they do look very, very familiar to the human foot today. Not like a monkey's foot, not like a chimpanzee's foot, but like human feet that have been fossilized. I advise you to do your own research, look into this more. It's a very interesting topic to look into these different fossil records of human existence that they claim to be millions of years old. And if you look at these, you can study people groups that don't wear shoes, that do everything barefoot, and these footprints highly resemble the footprints of those who don't wear shoes in their culture. So this is very, very interesting. As the evolutionists would claim that these are ancient ancestors, human-like creatures, the intermediate phase between apes or chimps and humans. Now, there's other things, other evidences from ages long ago that are also very interesting to look at. For example, in the next slide, if we look at the Baalbaek stones, you see these, we see these large, large structures with huge, massive stones that have been cleanly cut. And in between those stones, you cannot even fit a piece of paper. They are so well fit together. And you see that picture on the right, you see that man in the blue shirt just for scale of how big these stones are. And this was a quarry, and they would travel many miles bringing these stones to build their structures to worship their gods. But this is very interesting how such big rocks, big stones are cut finely, placed together with much care in this way. Another example, you could look at Stonehenge. It's a very famous site in England. Now some of those rocks, the biggest ones, are up to 30 tons. And the smaller ones are only 2 to 5 tons. But these have been put up, set up in a way, very intentionally set there. These could have been made after the flood, surely by Noah and his descendants, which would have still had some of those aspects of the pre-flood people. If you look at the next slide, this is a map of where Stonehenge's stones are, are made from. These are the quarries that they believe them to be found from. The one on the, on the left there, the purple line, is the bigger stones, the 25 to 30 ton stones that are used. And the one further up in the orange or reddish lines, those are the two to five ton stones that were also used. And if we see, look in that picture, done by English heritage, they believe that those stones, they see these little knobs and joints in there. They believe that they would have been handcrafted for these joints so that these rocks would fit together. That's very interesting. That does not seem indicative of 
creatures who are not humans, who have a lower intellect than humans. That seems very intentionally designed and placed there. And again, with this massive scale, how big these stones are, it seems very hard for humans like us to do so. Now if we go to the next slide, this is a map of where all giants have been discovered in North America, and they classify these giants as over seven feet tall. There have been over a thousand findings, and these, this was recorded by different newspapers, different journalists, different reports from local areas, as well as even some places like the Smithsonian. So I cannot say that all 1,000 of those are legitimate findings. They could be some false newspapers. But there is still a lot of evidence of possible giants that roam the earth. If we look at our next slide, there's three images of different giants, different skeletons found. The one in the middle there, he was seven feet long, laying down. And you see that his legs were cut off below the shins. So he was only seven feet from his knees up to his head. So it was found there. The one on the left there was an eight foot four tall mummy that was found in California. Now, interestingly enough about this, the Smithsonian purchased this for, at the time, $500, which was worth a lot more back in the 1800s when they bought it. And they kept it in their museums for about 50 years. And after 50 years, they said, well, we've done research on this. And they put it away saying that was a hoax, saying that the skin found on it was gelatin. But that seems interesting that they let, left that there, paid so much money for it, and left it in their museum for over 50 years. Now, I encourage you to do your research on your own if you want to look at that. It's the San Diego mummy. You can look at that on your own. You follow the links that I've provided there. It's a very interesting story to look at, these possible giants. On the right there, that's a giant found with copper armor around them. And there was multiple giants, multiple large skeletons found at this site, all surrounded by this copper armor. That's very interesting because we know from Genesis chapter 4, that Tubal-Cain, the son of Lamech, he was a forger of all bronze and iron instruments. So that means that there was forgery, there was craftsmanship done. And we know this people was a very violent people. So I think it'd be reasonable to believe that they would have crafted armors and weapons to use. And we see that as evidence here in some of these fossil records. Now, if, they wanna, if evolutionists want to say that, well, we're not, we're the smartest humans that were, we've always been increasing, growing, evolving, improving. Well, this evidence of finely made copper around these giant skeletons would be a very interesting thing to fit into the evolution's framework. Now, if you look in Genesis 6, chapter 4, it's on the next slide there, it says, the Nephilim were also on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, could these mighty men mentioned here in Genesis 4 be these large skeletons that we find? Could that be just the people of that time as the sons of God or angels came down into the daughters of man and bore children? Could this be where these mighty men, men of renown, could that be where we get our Greek mythology from? Is that where demigods and this idea of gods consummating with humans to make half-gods of some sort exhibiting on the earth. Could this possibly be that? I think it very well could. 
So I think from this evidence of the different conditions on the earth, from these passages in the Bible, I believe it would not be too unreasonable to believe that giants did exist on the earth. We do have Goliath, the giant, described later on in the Bible as well. Now, there's one thing that may be sticking out to you. I know it does to me. How do dinosaurs fit into all of this? Dinosaurs are very fascinating creatures. We only see skeletons of them. And the evolutionists would say that dinosaurs existed in a different age, a different period than humans existed. But well, I think we see evidence to the contrary. On this first slide, we see ceramic dinosaurs that were found in Mexico in Acambaro. And this actually led to the discovery of a new indigenous peoples to that area of Mexico. Now, again, I encourage you to do more research to this on your own if you do find dinosaurs very interesting. I do. So we see these depictions of dinosaurs and these little ceramic figures that seem that resemble dinosaurs that we find, the fossils that we dig up. Next, if we look on the next slide, we see the Ica stones. And these stones have depictions and drawings of dinosaurs and even humans interacting with dinosaurs. I'm not sure if humans truly rode on dinosaurs. That could be folklore made up by these, by these ancient peoples. But nevertheless, they still saw evidence. They saw these dinosaurs. What we now see in our fossil records, what we dig up, are very similar to these. You can see the one on the top left there looks very similar to a, a triceratops, perhaps. The one below that, very similar to the brachiosaurus, the dinosaurs with really, really long necks. So we see evidence in history of people groups interacting with dinosaurs, or at least witnessing them to draw them down, make depictions of them, make ceramics of them. And we even see throughout scripture references to dinosaurs. Now the word dinosaur isn't used. There's different words such as Leviathan or behemoth. For example, a few scriptures. In Job, he says, he mentions Leviathan a few times in Job 3, ready to rouse up Leviathan. Or in Job 41, when his conversation to God, God saying, can you draw out Leviathan with a fishhook or press down on its tongue with a cord? The psalmist praising God saying, you crushed the heads of Leviathan. Again in Job 40, Behold the hemoth which I made as I made you, God talking there. So biblically we even see accounts of leviathans, of behemoths, these large creatures and animals. I don't think that would be far out of the picture to say that those could have possibly been dinosaurs or what we would classify as dinosaurs today. Even more than this, we see fossil records of human footprints and dinosaur footprints together. If you look up there, on the right there is a fossilized piece of a dinosaur track and a human footprint overlapping. Now there is no way that that human footprint, very similar to our human feet today, could have stepped on and fossilized with a dinosaur track if they were separated by millions and millions of years. Now on the right is another picture of, of this time where you have dinosaur tracks and human tracks interlinking. And that right image is found from Dinosaur Valley State Park in Glen Rose, Texas. You can go there today. You can take camping trips there. You can see dinosaur tracks. Not too hard to find them. They made this a state park because of all of these mass dinosaur tracks that were found. It's a very fascinating as they're all found in the limestone. I'm not sure how easy it would be to find human footprints alongside of these dinosaur tracks. But nonetheless, we have evidence indicating that humans and dinosaurs 
existed together even in these fossil records. So next that brings us to the flood. Now the flood is widely disputed, especially by atheists and evolutionists that say there's no way there could have been a global flood. Some would say, oh, well, maybe it was a local flood. It was just in Noah's area where the flood existed, though scripture says that the waters covered the whole face of the earth. Now, some would give arguments to say that, well, there's not enough water in the earth to flood and cover the whole earth, or even if it did, the heat given off by these waters would have melted the earth practically. Well, I don't think that we would have had mountains as high as Everest back then like we do today. I believe that the mountains were created from the flood as a result of the flood. If we read the account of the flood in Genesis chapter 7, it reads in verse 11, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day, on the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. That's very interesting. If we look back to our account of creation, it says the fountains of the deep broke open. These waters underneath the crust of the earth broke open, causing a lot of the water to come out. The water pouring forth, as well as the windows of heaven opening. I believe that would be this layer that was described as the water above the expanse was an opening causing for more rainfall to come from that to flood the whole earth. Now there's a few different theories on this. Some would say that the waters from the deep burst up with such force after such pressure to break open this layer above the earth, or there maybe not have been one. Others would say that comet, that a comet came and hit and struck the canopy of water in which God allowed it then to bring forth water. Either way, I think this is what's described as happening during the flood. You see the waters raining down, the fountains of the deep bursting up, breaking up the earth. So I think we see evidence of this, of civilization within evidence of a flood as well. Now we see many layers of coal, they would say, even the layers of the earth, they would describe as different ages, different periods. These were built over long, long periods of time. In that each age had its own long time, some cataclysmic event to end it. I think that the flood came down and formed all of those layers through the waters breaking up, through erosions. And also I think there's evidence of this. We see in coal, perhaps, they say coal takes long amounts of time with great pressure to form. Now, it does take enormous amounts of pressure to form coal, but I don't think it would require millions of years. I believe these fossil fuels could have been formed during the flood. Many of them would have been during the flood because of the great pressure of the water. And I think we see evidence of this. On this slide, we see on the right, or on your left, a bell that was handcrafted that was verified to be handcrafted and was found inside of a lump of coal. On the right, there was an iron pot found inside a lump of coal. So there's people that were using coal for their daily activities back in the 1900s. And when they would break open this coal from these two big coal rocks, they'd find these different artifacts found within them. I think these would be artifacts from the people before the flood. That during the flood, when they came, the waters came crashing down, 
all their stuff would have been dispersed throughout, and the high pressure would have formed coal around these different artifacts that are found. Furthermore, we see fossils of marine life up in the mountains. We see on the left there, those are fossils of coiled marine cephalopods that were found in the Himalayans, as well as that one on the right. There are many of these different fossils found up on these mountains. Again, I would encourage you to do your own research. Look at it your own, by yourself. See this, we have, I had this quote from the NASA Earth Observatory. The presence of limestone and ocean marine fossils at the top of these mountains is one of the key pieces of evidence cited that advanced the idea of plate tectonics. We'll get to that soon, but we see when scientists see the evidence of a possible flood, they point to, oh, well, that must have been some other thing that happened. That couldn't have been the flood that would have brought these sea creatures up to the heights of mountains and fossilized up there. It couldn't have been a flood that caused these things. There must be something else, plate tectonics, Pangea, some other idea. Now, beyond this, if we look at the next slide, you can, again, I'd encourage you to do your own research. They're called polystrata fossils. Now, I have a few examples of trees here found that have been fossilized through many layers of strata, which, they would, which evolutionists would claim to be millions of years, separating each layer of strata. There's not only trees found, but even just plants or animals that have been found fossilized crossing these layers of strata. Now, this is very interesting because surely something could not fossilize. A tree could not stay upright after the course of millions and millions of years. Yet, we see evidence of this. We see evidence of this happening. So then, you're left to believe, is the evolutionist right when he says that those layers are millions and millions of years old? Or is the biblical account of the flood correct? That waters covered the entire earth, God judged the whole earth, which then resulted in these things that we see, these layers of strata, these polystrata fossils that we see laid throughout, which seem very counter to the evolutionist's perspective. So finally, I'd like to touch on Pangea and this idea of this is how we've gotten to the earth today. If we look at the first slide, evolutionists would say that, oh, well, over the course of millions and millions of years, there was Pangea, one continent with all the land mass of the earth, and it gradually split apart and separated into what we see today. Now, I'm not sure how many people still hold to this as to make Pangea work, you would have to basically eliminate Central America. You would have to shrink Africa and Iceland and Greenland. And you'd have to manipulate a lot of these continents to get to this place. Secondly, even if we look at the layers of the Earth, in the next slide, we see that the crust of the Earth is underneath the sea. There is a seabed floor. We're not just on a bunch of islands floating on the waters. We have this crust of the earth, and the water sits now on top of the crust of the earth. I think unlike what was in the pre-flood era, I think that's the waters bursting forth from the deep and then residing on top of it in the oceans and seas we see today. Now, evolutionists would attribute this movement to the tectonics, the fault lines that we see in our earth. And in the next slide, this is a map of the earth by NASA depicting those fault lines. Now, I believe these do exist. It's undeniable. That's why we get earthquakes, tsunamis, and different cataclysmic events is because 
of these fault lines, the shifting of the crust of the earth, which cause it to shake and rumble. I think the origin of these fault lines is from the flood, though. When we see the fountains of the deep bursting forth, I believe that is what created these plate lines, these tectonic plates and these fault lines. That's where we get earthquakes from. That's where these things happen. And I believe that's also how the mountains were formed. So as you have these plate tectonics, these breaking forth, you would have the crust of the earth either compressing together, forming mountains, or maybe they compress and both form downward, forming the valleys and the deep sea trenches we have, or you can see them either overlapping, going under one another. Again, you can do your own research on this. That's even where, in geology, you see that's how mountains are formed, how the deep sea trenches are formed. That's the movement of the crust of the earth, these plate tectonics, is because of these shiftings. That's how earthquakes happen, is because shifting of the plates that happen. So I believe that those were created from the flood, from the fountains of the deep, bursting forth. But then arises the question, well, how has the whole earth been populated with animals and people throughout every single different continent? If, we're, if we've been separated by sea, and the account of the flood happened, and then Noah with his one family with all the animals got off in one place. Well, if we look at this animation on the next slide, this is merely showing if the seawaters were to go down slightly. Ah, there it's not playing quite right, but you can see as the waters would descend about two and a half miles, you could get from Russia across to Alaska, you could get from Asia down to Australia as the sea waters decreased, as the sea level decreased. So I don't think after the flood when God said that the waters subsided, that's not playing. Oh, well. I think as God said that the waters recited, subsided, they did not go exactly to where they are today. But rather, they went down further, possibly freezing, forming ice caps and whatnot, to then allow for animals and humans to spread all throughout the earth. After the Tower of Babel, when people spread out throughout the entire earth, I believe that the waters... We're not exactly, the sea level was not exactly where it is today. Rather, it could have been slightly lower, just by a few miles, which would have been allowed for people to cross over to all the different lands of the earth. And I think that's where we see, and there's reason to believe of why we have people and animals all throughout the earth, from one family in one group of animals in one place after the flood. Now, Lastly, we get to why we have the lives that we do now, why we live as long as we live, why we don't live to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I think partly that's because the earth is in a different condition now. It's no longer how it was before the flood. I think sin has made us worse and worse as we've gone on. And we see in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 25, Again, going through descendants of Noah. It's a very interesting man that is named. As going through this chapter, it just says this person begat this person who fathered this person, so on and so forth. But then we get to verse 25. To Eber were, two, were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his day the earth was divided. That's a very interesting phrase. The only one that's only person in here that is really mentioned 
beyond their name, where it says the earth was divided. Now you can look at timelines of different images depicting, looking through all the years, the generations, if you compile them together. And you see that after Peleg, people's lifespans were basically cut in half. They were slowly diminishing after Adam and after the flood, going down and down and down in years. But then you get to Peleg, and then it was basically cut in half, down to the lifetimes and the lifespans that we see today. So I think that's a result of, or that's the earth that we now live in, the conditions that we now have after the flood with evidence from the Bible and in geology and archaeology to support that this flood did truly happen, that it was a global flood. So now, as we close, I know talking about this is very interesting. I love looking into it, looking at it. Some, sometimes I wonder, man, wouldn't it have been fun to live back then, living to hundreds of years old in these different conditions, living with dinosaurs and different creatures of the sorts? But I think today we have a much better condition of living because we have, had, we have seen the accomplishment of God's promise in Genesis 3. We've seen, God, we've seen God come down as a man, Jesus Christ, die on the cross for our sins to attain salvation for us, to give us his righteousness, to free us from the coming judgment that will come that was similar to the flood. So let's not long for the times of past, though it is very Interesting, I think, glorifying to God to look at his creation, but let's not long to live in a different time. And let's not be diminishing of his judgment of the world, and let's not diminish his judgment, his coming judgment, and the final judgment of the earth. And if we're not found in Christ, we will be judged like the people during Noah's time under the flood. So I again encourage you and ask you, cling to Christ as your salvation from God's judgments. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the time that we've had to look at your creation, Lord, to look at your text, see what you have revealed to us, Lord, the world that is around us, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified by our studying of your word, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.